Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Hi, this is Roy Green, and thanks for joining us for this podcast of my show on the Chorus Radio Network with Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker's view of the upcoming Ontario election, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe's thoughts on the federal government purchase of the Trans Mountain Pipeline extension, and the U.S. tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum, Laura Jones, Executive VP of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in British Columbia, shares the small business community's views. They're Canada's number one employers, after all. And Beauties and the Beast with Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, and former Liberal MP and Justin Trudeau seatmate Michelle Simpson on all of the above, as well as the upcoming Ontario election. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. To lead things off, we're uh, very fortunate to have with us the CEO of Ipsos Polling, Daryl Bricker, who uh, has been very kind with his time to us. Uh, heading toward this election. Daryl, thank you so much for, for the time today. And here's what I was going to ask you. I just scribbled some notes. If the election were held today, what would the Ontario government look like? Then I was going to ask you who has momentum, how much can change in the last few days, and is this Ontario election very different to elections in the recent past? Uh, all of those can, can be answered in a hurry today. Where do you want to, where do you want to start? I don't know. What do, you, what do you make of this? Uh, was it internal polling that no doubt suggested to the Premier that she wasn't going to win? Oh, probably. I mean, but there's been enough pu- public polling that, that there's, there's been no poll that shows the Liberals have had a, had a chance since the, the start of the campaign. So really, you know, is, is anybody who's uh, thinking about voting Liberal or members of the Liberal caucus or their, or their candidates all over the province, uh, you know, thinking that they really did have a ghost of a chance? Well, not really. Mm. But to hear the Premier say it, uh, that's, that's quite unusual. It is. I was trying to think if I've ever heard an incumbent Premier or Prime Minister say days, just days before the election, I am not going to win, I don't have a real chance, uh, but to vote, vote in enough of my, uh, of my caucus members so that we have some sort of presence and the other parties don't have a majority. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Oh, there probably is somebody that's done it, but I can't remember either. I was uh, searching my uh, my uh, index in my brain, and I, c- I couldn't find out, uh, think of anybody who's done that before. It's a, it's a pretty desperate move. Yeah. So where do we stand today? If the election were held today, where who would form the government? Well, you know, we've been saying for quite some time now that, you know, even though the NDP has been ha- had surged a bit over the space of the last uh, couple of weeks, that the way their vote had, has distributed around the province and the intensity of the support that they have from the people who are voting for them probably gave an advantage to the progressive conservatives. So even though the numbers look fairly close uh, in terms of where the liberal or where the NDP and the conservatives are, uh, the, the conservatives have an advantage. Now, is it enough to get them a majority government? That's the part we don't know and will become clearer as we go through the, the course of this week. But it looks like it's advantage conservatives. Is the announcement by Win today truly a wild card? Yeah, it's it's it really is something that only people who are you know in a campaign and haven't seen the light of day for for a period of time you know could come up with. Yeah, you understand the logic of it. The logic of it is to say you know all of my candidates are going to the the door and people are saying, look, I'd love to vote for you, 
but I can't because it looks like Doug Ford might win this election, and I have to abandon my uh, support of the Liberal Party to support the NDP in order to stop that. And what Kathleen Wynne is saying is, you don't really have to do that. In fact, it might be better if you vote for us and we have a minority situation in which we have some power within a minority government and we can make sure that the NDP, some of the things that maybe training wheels would prevent them from doing, well, we'll be, able to, we'll be their training wheels and we'll run a pretty good government for the province of Ontario if you give us a chance. Uh, of course, this is manna from heaven for the Conservatives, yeah. who, who basically, Doug Ford will be pointing them now and say, you know, I told you so. I so, told you so. So does this strengthen the position of Doug Ford? It probably does. It probably strengthens the position of both Doug Ford and, interestingly enough, Andrew Horvath. So uh, over the next four to five days, how, how, how much change could occur based on today's announcement by Wynne? Uh, how, much could, how much could change as far as voter support is concerned? Well, I think, you know, there's potential here that it could move one of the parties that are oscillating in the lead right now, the NDP or the Conservatives, into majority position as people want a more definitive outcome. And the interesting, one of the interesting things that we've seen in our own polling is that public opinion, which is usually favoring minority governments, has strongly moved to a majority. Uh, people favoring a majority government as an outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's going to force more people to make a decision between two rather than between three. May I ask you what uh, sort of the general direction you'll be polling on over the next couple of days? Well, I'll be trying to figure that out. We want to figure out who's got momentum. Uh, recently, it's been the NDP that has it, but we're not quite sure if that's been able to hold on. And this announcement today may change some of that. And really, what we're really trying to drill down on is who's going to show up. Because we know that uh, elections in Ontario, provincial elections, tend to have turnout around 55%. So there's about, you know, 45% of the people that we're talking to on our surveys who are not going to show up. So we have to figure out who that 55% is. And they don't look like the general population. The voting population is always different. So when I said at the start that the Conservatives have a big, big bit of an advantage with the people who are more likely to vote, we have to prove that out. So that's I, what I'll be looking at. Uh, okay. The wins announcement is that going to have more of an impact on women voters than men voters? Well, I think I think it's going to affect both. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know that men are more likely to vote for the progressive conservatives, and women are more likely to vote for the NDP. That's one of the advantages the liberals have uh, have, have had traditionally that the NDP has taken over. But Roy, this is really a, a, an election between anger and fear. Interesting. The conservative voters are angry. Yeah. They're voting because they want change. And the idea that change won't happen as a result of the minority government involving the Liberals and the NDP is probably going to push them even more strongly to the polls. The other side of this is fear. People who really want to stop Doug Ford from getting into government. And those people who are most fearful might, particularly if they're Liberal voters, say that we need a more definitive statement uh, about what we want to prevent, and that means voting more strongly for the NDP. In both of these scenarios, the Liberals are the losers. You know, Daryl, this is going to be a fascinating uh, number of days heading toward Thursday, and I think we'll all be waking up in the morning looking for the next major announcement, whatever it possibly might be. But uh, I, I just my gut tells me, at least I hope, that more people than usual get out to vote because if the election is, as you say, and I don't doubt it, that it's between anger and fear, then get involved, make make yourself known by voting, and don't stay at home and let somebody else uh, just 
negate your vote. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what democracy is all about. A lot of people have fought and died for this right. So, yeah, yeah let's hope that Ontarians uh, exercise their franchise. Daryl, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And I know it's a terrific working relationship between Ipsos and Global News. Uh, and we really appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody in Hamilton. Thanks a lot, Roy. Take care. Bye-bye. Daryl Bricker, the uh, CEO of Ipsos. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. We do have the Premier of Saskatchewan with us, Scott Moe, and uh, delighted to be able to speak with the Premier. Mr. Premier, thank you for the time. And uh, I I want to ask you about Ontario uh, before before we end the interview and uh, and the election that's coming up. But if I may start, first of all, you and I spoke previously about the Trans Mountain Pipeline and you had concerns about it being a federal constitutional right to make the decision, and you wondered about whether the, if the Premier of British Columbia ultimately makes the decision on the pipeline, whether we, in fact, have a country. Now we have the country buying the Trans Mountain Pipeline for some $4.5 billion, and the objective we hear from Mr. Morneau and Mr. Trudeau is to sell it. How do you view this development? Well, I, I, it, it's... It's quite a development, and I wouldn't say it's an unexpected development. As uh, we, you know, we had asked the federal government to do something, and they most certainly have. Um, I hope it works. I, you know, I would first and foremost say that I hope this does work. Ultimately, we want that that infrastructure built because it's not only beneficial for our province, but it's beneficial for the nation of Canada. And so they have uh, done something, and I, I sincerely hope it works. I, I. I am uncertain as to what it changes, as Canada still does have uh, the jurisdiction, as we've said all along. They they could have enforced that jurisdiction or stepped up and filled that space uh, previous with uh, the private sector dollars uh, investing in this pipeline, not public sector or Canadians' dollars investing in this pipeline. Um, But in saying that, I I hope this does work. Does it take the heat off the interprovincial economic fighting that was starting to develop, certainly there was a lot of negative discourse. I, I think it, it does create a pause where everybody, as I said, it says, well, this is a little bit of a different environment. I, I'm not sure how different. Um, you know, let's see if they can get some shovels in the ground and actually get this infrastructure uh, built. But it, but it does raise some additional questions, and one is you know, how much are Canadians going to be on the, on, the, uh, on, on the paying end for, as well as what type of signal does this send to our, our private investment uh, environment, our, our capital investment environment here in, in the nation of Canada. And we are always trying to attract investment capital to our province to add value to the products that we have prior to having them leave the province. And, and uh, it does raise the question as to, you know, is this a positive or negative effect on, on people looking to invest in our nation? And uh, so, it, you know, it, it, maybe it'll, it'll uh, solve, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the question around the, the start of the construction of this pipeline. Um, we'll have to see the federal government is still going to have to step forward and fill their jurisdiction. They're still going to have to consider using every tool that they have. They, they could have done that previous with the private capital that was available. Now it's Canadians capital on the line. So they most certainly have to. Is it your sense that Canada has suffered and maybe is suffering as far as international investment is concerned because of all of the dawdling and the, uh, and, and the, the, the threats and counter threats that accompany the conclusion or the extension of the pipeline? Well, it's not helpful. It's yeah. not helpful uh, in attracting investment when you don't have a firm 
um, a regulatory environment that provides uh, certainty for companies and for for industries that are looking to invest in our nation. It, it isn't helpful, and it's compiled on um, some other challenges that we are uh, experiencing here in our investment climate in Canada, and that's just our direct competitiveness with uh, other nations around the world. And, and you, you know, the the conversation that we have in our province is we need to remain competitive, um, not just with the United States, but with industries all around the world. We need to ensure that we are communicating with our customers um, not only our economic competitiveness of our products, but also the sustainability of the products that are, are produced in our province. And we are we are stepping up those efforts and those initiatives now so that our, our customers all around the world aren't wondering um, whether or not our products are produced in a sustainable fashion or not. Um, they are, and we will be quick to inform them about that and and uh, but we do need to remain competitive and and issues or, or impose carbon taxes imposed uh, or, or the lack of uh, stepping forward and filling the regulatory role that governments have um, all hurt us from a from a certainty perspective as well as a competitive perspective premier mo your counterpart in british columbia mr horgan says this the decision by the federal government to purchase the extension of the Kinder Morgan pipeline, or the the, uh, the Trans Mountain pipeline from Kinder Morgan, he says this unties his hands as far as continuing to pursue a non-competition uh, or non-completion, if you will, of the Trans Mountain extension. What do you say? Well, I I, I think it changes. It doesn't change a, a whole lot with respect to this pipeline either. We've always believed the federal government has the jurisdiction to go ahead and and, uh, you know, approve it, which it's done through the National Energy Board and through the federal government itself. So we've always believed construction should have started regardless of, of who the owner is. And uh, so although the, the Canadian people have bought this pipeline, the existing pipeline are going to build the uh, new pipeline, um, the, the federal government still has jurisdiction over all aspects of uh, construction of this pipeline. So although the owner has changed, um, we feel the federal government is still is still the regulator, still the approval uh, the approval entity, and they should they should utilize every tool they have with the uh, with the province of British Columbia and the premier of British Columbia to ensure that that actually it actually does start and finish. Premier, let me shift gears here and ask you about the declaration of the tariff on Canadian steel and aluminum by the Trump administration in the United States. It really shouldn't have been a surprise to Canada. I know it's angered a lot of people, and a lot of people are angry today. But it shouldn't have been a surprise because Mr. Trump said the last uh, tariff exclusion was temporary. Did we uh, did we miss an opportunity to create um, uh, at least force forego the uh, the tariffs as South Korea did in, in their negotiations with the United States? Yeah, I'm, I'm not privy to the actual negotiations, but it is uh, it is problematic. It's problematic for us in Saskatchewan and other places across. I know Alberta and Camrose is a plant as well. Everest Steel has a uh, plant in Regina and Camrose. And the uh, the problem we now have is is the steel industry is a good example of many of our industries that have operated under, under the North American Free Trade Agreement for the last 25 years or so. Is we we are an integrated economy and products are moving back and forth in the midst of their their con- their uh, formulation into an end end use product all the time and steel steel is a great example where we have Everest steel in regina they recycle most of the cars in western canada they make uh they they make a a, a steel product out of that that's then shipped down to uh down to uh, uh the the west coast of the u.s where they make a plate steel is shipped back up to uh camrose alberta where they make pipe, where that pipe then is shipped down to Texas to put in put into a, an oil field use or or, or a bridge somewhere 
um, in in the U.S. So th- it's absolutely an integrated market, and that's just one example. There's 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 many many examples of that, and uh, this the steel the steel tariff that the U.S. has put on it did require retaliation from the federal government. They've done that. And we support that. I'll be down in Washington next week meeting with uh, a number of different senators as well as some secretaries. I'll be meeting meeting uh, uh, with Secretary Ross as well. And I will be um, ensuring uh, that they understand the mutual benefit that we have with our integrated economy under the NAFTA deal. It is time for an update of this, deal, of this uh, trade agreement, but it's not time for a rewrite or try to move forward without it. What do you expect from the G7 conference? Well, I, I suspect trade will uh, be discussed there, uh, if not uh, formally, uh, for certain informally, and our trade relationship with uh, the number of the uh, the, the, the uh, G7 nations. Um, it you know as as we move forward, these are some of the leading nations in the world, and they will set uh, you know the agenda for for many of the other international conversations uh, that we have. But I, I hope I hope there's discussions, uh, in particular with our North American uh, allies, um, with respect to ensuring that not only do we have strong countries, but we have a strong co- continent when it comes, uh, you know, to our, to our economy. And the last question for you, Premier Mo, is uh, your thoughts on the Ontario election. Doug Ford, and Premier Wynne, saying that she doesn't expect the Liberal Party to actually be victorious on Thursday of next week. Doug Ford has promised no carbon tax and an end to the cap-and-trade deal Ontario's involved in with Quebec and California. And what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on the Ontario election? Well, I agree with Doug Ford uh, with respect to a cap-and-trade uh, and not having a cap-and-trade or a carbon tax uh, system in place because it makes you uncompetitive uh, to a degree. And it doesn't work. It doesn't reduce emissions. And uh, Ontario has uh, many other initiatives that they have put forward. Some have cost uh, have cost uh, you know Ontarians uh, some some dollars. Uh, some have some have not as much. But they've put forward some great initiatives that actually have had an impact on emissions over the last while. Uh, so I commend uh, Mr. Ford uh, for that. Um, with respect to um, uh, the NDP, uh, we've had an NDP government in Saskatchewan for far too many decades, in my opinion. And they've stagnated our economy in, in many ways. And it's been uh, it's only been the last decade that we've been able to start to start to grow our economy, grow our jobs and grow our population. So I, I, I commend Mr. Ford on his stance uh, with respect to some of the costs that just make the industries that are important to Ontarians and uh, and the, 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 jo- the resulting jobs from those industries and ensuring that they can remain competitive. Premier, thank you for the time, and thank you for answering questions. I ask you a question, I get an answer. I don't have to ask the same question four or five times in four or five different ways. That's really greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot for the time. Take care. All the best. Scott Moe is the Premier of Saskatchewan. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Laura Jones joins us on uh, on the show. She very kindly agreed to go a little bit earlier. She is the Executive Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in British Columbia. And as you know, CFIB represents the number one employers in this country, and that's the small and medium-sized businesses. No, they're not the enemy. They are the people who do the employing. The enemy? Somebody else. And I think we know who that somebody else is. Uh, Ms. Jones has written some great op-eds for the um, Vancouver Sun. Trudeau must act forcefully to ensure a pipeline can be completed. That would have been good. And uh, another one was headlined, BC plays dangerous game in pipeline ploy 
And a third one by Laura Jones was harming Canada isn't in the best interest of British Columbians, Mr. Horgan. Laura Jones, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks for having me on, Roy. So let's get, first of all, at the fact that the Prime Minister of this country did have every opportunity and the constitutional right to drive through this pipeline and over anyone's objections and where and if it was necessary to remove um, recalcitrant protesters. He had that right as well, but he didn't do it. Speak to that, please. Well... I think the bottom line on this really is that the B.C. government has a lot to answer for in putting Canada in this situation, for putting us in the situation where um, the federal government is now uh, looking at buying, um, spending $4.6 billion, $4.5 billion to buy a pipeline, um, and all of the risks that comes with it that a private sector company uh, was willing, uh, was was so worried about that they were willing to walk away. So I, I think ground zero for bad behavior on this, I mean, is is really the British Columbia government. Now, you know, we can talk about how the federal government might have done more sooner. We can talk about what the Alberta government might have done differently. But ground zero for this bad behavior comes out of British Columbia, basically creating mischief and mayhem with respect to a project that was already approved and undermining... Uh, the rule of law, undermining confidence in Canada. And so, um, again, I think that's, that's where it starts, and that's where most of the blame lies. Now, Mr. Horgan seems to feel that the fact that the federal government has agreed to purchase the Trans Mountain Extension, and I've received actually more than one communique from listeners suggesting it may be the beginning of nationalization of our natural resources industries, uh, people do remember the National Energy Plan of 19, what was it, 72, 73, 74. Um, Mr. Horgan seems to feel, and he stated essentially, that the fact that the federal government is going to put $4.5 billion or up to $4.5 billion of taxpayer money on the table for Kinder Morgan just broadens his options to continue to fight against the extension being completed. What do you make of that? Well, the bad behavior continues. I mean, here you've got a project. I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you wind back the, pl- the clock and you kind of you zoom out on this and you say, what happened here? I mean, here you've got a project that was approved um, by the National Energy Board, that was approved by the Cabinet, and was approved by the government of British Columbia. It was the previous government, but it was approved by the government of British Columbia. So it had all the green lights to go forward. Um, and then you have an election, and you have a government that, in order to stay in power, has promised to use every tool in the toolkit to fight the project. And I think there were a lot of people, and I heard a lot of people talk about this after the election result, that suggested that, you know, the premier would need to look a little bloodied by this to satisfy the Greens, but, um, you know, he certainly wouldn't do anything to kind of alienate the federal government, to alienate Alberta and Saskatchewan, to um, kind of, you know, really uh, uh, trample on uh, the Federation, to undermine the rule of law. But all of that has since happened as he's continued to, you know, not just use every tool in the toolkit in some kind of reasonable way, but to do it to kind of vandalize the Constitution. And I may sound like I'm being a little bit, you know, um, (laughs) this may sound quite um, harsh, what I'm saying, but I think that this bad behavior is very dangerous for the country. If all provinces behave like this, we wouldn't have much of a country. In a conversation I had with Premier Mo of Saskatchewan about a month ago, he brought up the fact 
the Premier Horgan is was doing whatever he could to derail the pipeline project, as you've just pointed out, as we've all observed. And he also pointed to the constitutional powers that the prime minister and the federal government have to push this through. And he said, if, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, we have that clip. Can you find it, please? Uh, he said, word, he had words to the effect that if the premier of British Columbia is able to stop the completion of the pipeline extension, then the question becomes, do we have a country? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's an important. I mean, I think it's an important question. I, I mean, I do think the federation is stronger than any uh, you know one province going rogue, hopefully temporarily. But I think it is very serious, and I think people are starting to wake up to just how serious this is. I mean, what you've seen is a business community that has been completely galvanized by this. Um, there's a confidence in Canada movement that started in British Columbia. And we now have 114 different associations from coast to coast, by the way, from Victoria to Halifax, who are so concerned about this that they've, you know, signed on to a very hard-hitting letter about this. And what I would say is that at its heart, the solidarity that you're seeing in the business community is not, is certainly not about pipelines, and it's certainly not about this particular project. It's about our deep, deep concern about confidence in Canada and what happens when you can't trust the processes and the rule of law in what's supposed to be a stable country. And, of course, this is having reverberations in, in boardrooms across the, the, the world who mm-hmm. are saying, hmm, not sure we want to invest there um, now that you can't trust um, the process because the process itself in Canada has gotten very onerous and difficult and costly and complicated, and that's its own problem, (laughs) and that's a problem we should be talking about. Um, But what happens when you go through that onerous, complicated, difficult process and you get a yes, and you still can't count on the yes? I mean, that's not something that's supposed to happen in Canada. That might happen in, you know, some kind of um, developing country with unstable uh, rules, but that doesn't happen in, in Canada. And so it's, it's very, very problematic. I mean, there are the underlying issues, again, with the costly, complicated process. But when you then can't trust that once, the, once you get through that process, you can't trust the decisions, boy, that's, that's a problem of a different magnitude. And that has very, very serious, uh, serious implications for the country. And Laura, the concern spans the entire business community. Frank McKenna was on the show the deputy chairman of the TD Bank, former premier of New Brunswick, and the former ambassador, Canadian ambassador to the United States, he made the same statement. He had the same concern that if this whole process has been taken care of, all the I's have been dotted, all the T's have been crossed for the pipeline's construction and completion. Uh, And then it doesn't happen because of the various speed bumps and roadblocks that have been placed in its way that we're also aware of, he said as well, that the international business and investment community is going to take a second, third, maybe fourth, hard look at Canada and decide, well, maybe this isn't a country that we want to really invest in. Maybe it's a country that we can't afford to invest in. And that's, that's, that's just doubly harming uh, the potential that we have. And the potential of this country, if it's managed properly, is unlimited. Well, th- well that's absolutely right. And... Um, you know, 
the other thing is that we, while I'm not saying that the optimal number of projects to say, you know, that it's optimal to say yes to everything, it's certainly not optimal to say yes to nothing um, in now. this country. And that seems to be where we're headed. I mean, yeah. you I really um, do need to balance. And I think most Canadians are with the Prime Minister on, you know, we need to find a balance between, you know, economics and, and the environment, and they can and do go together. Um, but we are, our resource sector is in serious trouble, and it's 30% of our economy. And, you know, I was just reading something from uh, Kevin Milligan, who's a UBC economist, who says, you know, middle class, the middle class, the health and stability of the middle class depends on our resource jobs. Um, another uh, retired economist from Scotiabank puts it this way, and I think it's a very good way to put, put it, is that oil pays the rent in Canada. And, you know, I, I think we take these jobs and, and this sector um, for granted at our peril. And I was just looking at the um, CFIB's business barometer, which tends to be a good, accurate indicator of where the economy's at. And overall, things aren't in bad shape. But when you, when you scratch the surface there and you look at some of the sectors, boy, the resource um, economy is down 12 points in confidence. And so I think we have this is masking this kind of overall the economy being okay in Canada is masking some very serious problems that we have under the surface um, that also cause regional tensions and, you know, tensions between the urban and and rural uh, divides in this country. And now we've got the, you know, this other big uncertainty, not of our making, um, thanks to um, what's going on with the, the tariffs. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Laura Jones is my guest, the executive vice president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in British Columbia. Uh, here's what uh, Premier Mo said, um, Laura, when it came to the issue of the Premier of British Columbia potentially torpedoing the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Our nation was built on the construction of some of these projects, and they've been very unifying projects for the nation of Canada. If a province such as British Columbia is able to stop one of these projects, it begs the question is, do we, do we still have a nation? Said it. That's from Premier, a Western Premier. Let me ask you in the minute we have left to give us your assessment. I wish we had more time, but we'll just have to squeeze it into a minute. Your assessment of this whole issue of the tariffs. Oh, gosh. Well, that's a mess. I guess the difference is that it's, it's not a mess of our own making in Canada, but it certainly does underscore the need to not take the economy for granted and shoot ourselves in the foot with, um, uh, you know, things like the Kinder Morgan um, uh, mess. And, but yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty on the horizon uh, for business, and we know that uncertainty is not good for business. Um, however, we also know that uh, the president of the U.S. It tends to be very, very unpredictable, and um, you know, I guess we can hope that this may this may blow over quickly, but we certainly can't count on that e- either. Well, he said that he'd like to have a separate agreement with Canada. He said that more than once, so we should be pursuing that. And when you see that South Korea was able to work out an agreement and, uh, for their, for their uh, steel without tariffs, 70% of the steel, then certainly I think the opportunity is available to Canada. So more on that file, and I'm sure the, uh, the pipeline as well. Laura, thank you so much for the time. Good speaking with you. Thank you. Take care. 
Laura Jones from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Catherine Swift, workingcanadians.ca, formerly the CEO of Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Roy. Linda Leatherdale, the former money editor of the Toronto Sun. Hi, Linda. Hello, Roy. And she sat beside Justin Trudeau day after glorious day. Michelle Simpson, the former Liberal Member of Parliament and seatmate to the Prime Minister of Canada. Hi, Michelle. Hello, Roy. So here we are. We have a concession speech before the election, which is kind of different. Although we've had uh, premiers and prime ministers quit before their term was through. That's happened fairly regularly. Well, this is a this is a new one, and uh, I'd like your thoughts on it. Let's start with a politician or a former politician. <laughs> what do Thank you make you. of this, Thank Michelle? You for correcting yourself. <laughs> what do you make of this? Well, she, without looking like an idiot, that was the only thing she could say. You know, because nobody believes. You know, if you believe the polls, um, they could be reduced. The liberals. To as few as two seats and as many as seven, but they still lose party status. So she, there wasn't really much she could do except that. And uh, we went to the advanced polls, and for the first time, my husband had to admit that he didn't vote liberal for the first time in decades. Wow. But not. NDP. That gives it away. That does get well it, by the process. <laughs> he went green. By he the process of he, yeah. wouldn't, he wouldn't. He re, he remembers the raid days, and he said, "The first time I got a bonus, they took fifty-six percent and left me with forty-four percent." Do you know what I remember? Linda Leatherdale and I were talking on the air after Floyd Logren. Linda called him Pink Floyd Logren <laughs> when he was the finance minister for Ontario under the Bob Ray regime. Yeah. And uh, and Linda, remember when sixty four? I think it was sixty four thousand dollars was the wealth threshold where a surtax kicked in. Yes. Yep. Yes. Unbelievable, Roy. And Catherine, you were with me. We we held a tax revolt yep. on the grounds of Queens Park. Uh, it was ridiculous what was on Ontario was going through. And uh, I hope people remember and have long memories from that because we lost our AAA credit rating. It went down, down, down. They tried to spend their way out of recession. That didn't work. And we all know what it costs, the action. And it costs. It costs all Canadians at at the end of the day. Catherine, uh, there's always the danger when you talk about a provincial election in Canada that you're going to alienate a significant number of people because... We're such a regional country. What happens in Ontario doesn't necessarily turn the crank of people who are a couple of thousand miles away. They'll pay attention to headlines, but they don't necessarily follow. Much as we do the same, can be accused of the same thing, perhaps, if it's not a nice, it's the NIMBY situation. But well, this one, is, but this, but, but this I election mean, had, this election had, had a soap opera feel to it. From yeah. the very, from the, from the, from the, you know, the failure of Patrick Brown on forward. Oh, yeah, it's been drama city. No question about it. And now we've got this. Incredibly, you know, unusual step of a of um, a sitting premier days away from an election. 
um, uh, you know, basically resigning, which is bizarre. And I know for a fact, months ago, a lot, number of her conservative colleagues wanted her to do it a few months ago. <laughs> and she stubbornly, she's a very stubborn woman, when uh, she hung in there, uh, still thinking, you know, miracles could happen. And so I'm sure there's a lot of people within the Liberal Party that are pretty teed off at her right now. But listening to her statement, you know, and also that, that the, the quote, the notion of the whole country should matter. You know, yeah, they don't have to care about Ontario per se, but when Ontario, the largest province in the country, is a drag on things like transfer payments from other provinces, you got to care because we are all intertwined, like it or not. We're very intertwined financially and, of course, in other ways. So, I mean, if Ontario, for example, could get back on its feet, become a have province, not a have not province, it would be contributing to the rest of the country, which should, you know, which should matter to everyone. But the thing that killed me about Wynne's statement, which was total malarkey, was she said, well, Ontarians don't want a majority government. That's total baloney, total baloney. Uh, Ontarians do want a majority government, so she's, even on her way out, she's trying to spin things. She's trying to say, okay, you know, vote for Liberals because they'll deny the majority you don't want, either the NDP or the Conservatives to have, and, and again, that's that's totally not true from that all was, the information. That was one of the first things that Daryl Bricker said yeah. in my yeah. conversation with him, that yeah, Ontarians want a majority government. This, this There's no doubt about that. That's what they want. And it's interesting, uh, I asked the question about a month, month, two months ago, is Ontario, do you think Ontario is a drag on the rest of Canada? Well, the phone lines exploded. Yeah, and yeah. the majority opinion right across the country was yes, unfortunately. And Ontario right. is a drag, even and, and, and more so than Quebec, because Quebec is, is now a half province. You yeah, know what's or close to a half province. You know what's scary? They're getting there. Is if, you know, the NDP gets elected, um, as you know, the, you know, Horvath is premier. We've got the three economic drivers, like BC, Alberta, and Ontario, under NDP rule, and that scares me. Yeah, no, very true, Michelle. Well, I'm going to move to New Mexico. <laughs> I'm coming with you. <laughs> I'm moving to New Mexico. Pack me in your bag. What's that? What's Pack that? Pack me in your Pack bag. Me in your bag. <laughs> what gets me about the, the tie-in to the pipeline story this week is that a lot of the people that are protesting that pipeline and, and will continue to protest it, by the way, whether the government owns it or, you know, or Kendra Morgan owns it or whatever, but a lot of those people are the people that are actually running for office in Ontario for the NDP right now. And I'm thinking, ooh, that's really the kind of government we want, you know, obstructing anything that could create some prosperity. And, 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 right. and, and no, I don't remember when I was last arrested by the police. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Uh, we know that in the uh, household of Michelle Simpson that her husband... By deductive reasoning, we figured out that he voted progressive conservative in Ontario. Now I have to ask you, will you tell us how you're going to vote? Or is that an unfair question? No, same way. Because I went to the advanced polls. Because on uh, E-Day, um, I, I'm otherwise um, occupied. So I thought, I want to get it. I was really hard-pressed. But I looked beyond the leaders. I did what you said, Roy, and I looked at who was running in my riding. Right. I looked at the individual. 
Yeah. So. And you voted progressive conservative. <sighs> you voted for Doug Ford. Swallow hard. No. Uh, That's not fair. You know, I shouldn't do that to you. I should not I do that to you. I can't stand him. I'm I know, sorry. I know. I know. I know. I shouldn't do that. I, I apologize. No, that's okay. But it was hard. I'm sure it was. Linda, I want to ask you for your thoughts in, uh, on, on the pipeline situation with the federal government. Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Morneau are saying they're going to spend $4.5 billion and, of course, another 6 or $7 billion to complete the thing. Or, um, your thoughts on, on spending that kind of taxpayer money. And then your thoughts, let, let's have you lead off on uh, the... Tariffs on steel and aluminum. My goodness, okay. I'm just going to say, like father, like son, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, remember he took Petrofina, bought it out, made it Petro-Canada, was supposed to be the gas company for the Canadian taxpayer, and that didn't work out, did it? No. So, here we go again. This nationalization of, of, uh, uh, <laughs> of this work, I, I, I have my doubts. And, and I have listened to your show earlier, Roy, and a lot of the callers in are saying we need a leadership on this. And I don't think we saw the leadership that we needed, particularly with the hostile situation going on right now um, with NAFTA and certainly now slapping these tariffs uh, on the EU, on Mexico and on Canada for aluminum and uh, uh, for steel. Um, maybe we should grow some, can I, I can't say that. On yes, that. you can. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And we should start defending, and, and, and I mean, people might say, well, you're nationalizing, we are standing up for Canadians, because we do own that oil in the ground, by the way, and we seem to get hosed at every corner. We don't refine it, the United States does, we send it down there, and then we get hosed at the gas pumps, and overtaxed. Maybe it's time that the people stood up and said, no, we, we need these jobs. I believe we need that pipeline, yeah. but we need fairness. Fair trade, not free trade. Do you know, and Catherine? You know, Catherine. I want my brother to be prime minister. Red. Red Your green? brother. Red. Oh, red green. Oh, <laughs> that's right. If you can't be handsome, be handy. Yes, I love red green. Uh, uh, well, this, yeah, this. What gets me about all of this? Business. First of all, massive waste of taxpayers' money that didn't have to happen. But this, this federal government has zero respect for taxpayers' money. We've seen that time and time again. So nothing new there, I guess. But I still can't figure out how this is going to make the protesters go away. It's not. This does not it's solve not. the problem. It's not. The problem wasn't that there wasn't money to pay for this stupid thing. Of course there was money. And lots of it, you know, private sector money that wouldn't cost the taxpayer a dime. And, and it, this does nothing. In fact, Horgan has doubled down. And I was listening to most of your show today, Roy, so great show, by the way. Uh, and I heard, I heard people talking about the fact, I think it was Scott Moe that was saying, Horgan's doubled down on this. Yep. He's saying, well, this makes me freer, freer to oppose the pipeline. So, you know, even if you hate what they're doing with taxpayers' dollars, which I do, but, or even if you love it, how does this solve the problem? It doesn't. It does not. It. It does. No. Hey, nobody say, what, what they're hoping is that because Mr. Trudeau is involved, that the protests will somehow magically disappear. Well, it, it worked yeah. well with NAFTA, eh? Worked great. <laughs> yeah, it worked great in China, too, didn't it? Yeah, it worked well. India, yeah. India was a big hit. India was great. Yeah. India was a fashion show. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so, it's, so, it's, now, it's still, so now, is it, is, it, is it on Trump 100% or is some of it on Trudeau? 
Well, I'd say some. I think some of it definitely is on Trump, but I think some of it's on Trudeau too. I, think I mean, they've known 50, this guy was unpredictable for ages. Sorry. And when it gets down to the the nitty gritty detail here, when Trudeau after the tariffs came on, he taught he, he revealed that he was going to go down and talk to Trump, which in in my view might have been absolutely something to avoid, but. Um, he said, oh, well, but they made the, they, they required this five-year sunset clause. To my way of thinking, a five-year sunset clause wouldn't be a terrible thing. So I, I don't know who's directing the substance of this uh, in Ottawa, but I do think they wear some of it, yeah. Monsieur Gérald Butts. Yeah, yeah, well. You were going to say something, Michelle? Well, yeah, the sunset clause. Let's assume that Donald Trump gets reelected. Just assuming he'll be halfway through his second mandate. So how dangerous is a sunset clause at that point? It's something that could be addressed once Trump is out because they term out. And um, I I just thought, oh. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Michelle. Totally agree. Yeah. So I just, I thought it was a whole bunch of Something about nothing. Linda? Oh, well, I agree with both Catherine and Michelle on that. It's, it's ludicrous. And again, I go back to what your caller's in there saying. We needed true leadership on this yep. issue. True leadership. Have some, never mind, have, grow some. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Justin Trudeau has an ad on, uh, on Twitter where he's encouraging people to go to his writing of Papineau because that's where they're going to be holding uh, one of the tennis tournaments, one of the major pro tennis tournaments. And what you're referencing is what they hit a back and forth across the net. Who cares? Tennis balls. Who cares? Well, I, I thought, okay. Well, I think it was an epic fail week for Trudeau et al. and his team yeah. Yeah. because yeah. the pipeline mess, the, you know, the, the whole U.S. situation breaking down like this, it's not all their fault for sure, but a fair bit of it is. Okay, I need a, I need a, a quick one-word response from you on this. G7, success or failure for Canada? Catherine? The existence of it, right? No, no. The, the, how are we going to do in the G7? Oh, I think it's going to be a disaster now that this tariff stuff's all happened. Okay, yeah. Linda? I, I agree with Catherine. I mean, come on. This is a sad state of affairs. So. Okay. Michelle? Catastrophic. Catastrophic. Okay, another good week coming up. <laughs> Thank you, beauties. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. I think we have a we have our lineup for next Saturday already. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye bye. The Roy Green Show podcast is available wherever you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you like what you hear, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a review and tell a friend.